You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Redeemer family, as you're getting seated, if you want to grab your Bibles and turn to um, the first chapter of Luke's gospel, that's where we will find ourselves as we take our walk through scripture today. Uh, My name is Rick Bowers. I have the joy and the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And as Jordan shared with us earlier, uh, today is the first Sunday of Advent for this year. And I'm super excited to be able to be up here to walk through uh, some of our our Advent scriptures this morning to unpack some things about the Christmas story. But before we jump into that, uh, if you aren't familiar with the word Advent or what the season's about, it might be helpful to know that the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which is the translation for the Greek word parousia. So parousia is the word that your Bible uses to talk about the first coming of Christ, to talk about the Christmas story, what we celebrate this time of year. The Bible uses the word parousia for that. It also uses that very same word to talk about Christ's second coming, so the time that Christ will return again. And we live in between these two moments. We live in what we can call the already not yet. Jesus has already come. But he has not yet come again. And so we live in this waiting period. And as we wait for his return, we wait with anticipation and we wait with longing. And we wait, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, return. In fact, our waiting, it should actually inform our living. We don't just stand and stare into the sky. We tell people the good news of our rescue in Jesus And we let them know that there's rescue available for them too. So during Advent, we take time out of the year to focus on and to remember Christ's first coming and to step in a little more closely to our longing for his second coming so that we might be reminded that we are a people who have been blessed, who have been given every blessing in Christ Jesus, and who are called to share that with the world. And so this Advent season... If you guys have been with us for any amount of time, you know that we've taken a very long walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. We have finished that, and now we are stepping into the season of Advent. So for the next four Sundays, our Advent Sundays, we're going to be looking at the lives of several people in Scripture, people whose story was important during the first coming of Christ. Uh, But what we want to do is pay attention to everyone that God puts in front of us in Scripture. Some of the people that we'll be looking at, they have big parts in the Christmas story. So like Mary, the mother of Jesus, big part in the Christmas story. Other people have small parts in the Christmas story, like Anna. Maybe she just gets a few lines in our Scripture, but their lives are important. The people that God puts before us in Scripture, their stories are important. And what we sometimes forget is that the people in our Bible are just like us. They're ordinary. We may, not, uh, we may not act like that all the time. Sometimes we read the Bible and we elevate people in Scripture. We put them up on a pedestal. Uh, but the only person who should be on that pedestal is Jesus. The people in our Bible are ordinary. This is not a, a book of moral lessons. It's a, a book that points to a Savior church. The men and women of scripture, occasionally they will do wonderful things for God. Often they'll fail him. 
But God will continually work in and through their lives despite their mess, just like he does you and just like he does me when our faith rests in Jesus Our extraordinary God works through our ordinary lives to tell people the most wonderful story ever, that a Savior has come and that that Savior is actually coming again. So for the next four weeks, we'll remember our faithful God, we'll celebrate Jesus, and we'll stir up our anticipation for his return. And this morning, we're going to start that by looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I'm going to be real simple this morning as we walk through their lives in Scripture. I want to make five observations about the kind of people that they were. If you're taking notes, here you go. They were people of God's promises who waited faithfully. Sometimes they doubted. They blessed others. And they eagerly anticipated the arrival of their king. And here's my hope this morning. My hope is that something in their story will remind you of a little something in your story, and you'll be reminded of how God has rescued you and how God wants to use you as well. If you pray with me this morning, let's step off into our text. I'll pray, and then we'll get moving. Heavenly Father, thank you. We come to you this morning in praise and in need. Father, thank you that you are faithful. In this time of year, we remember your promises, how they've been kept, and how they've been all fulfilled in Jesus. I ask that you would even open our our hearts and our minds to understand that. And we come to you in need. We come to you as a needy people, a people needing to believe that, to believe in your promises, to trust in you. I ask that you would make Christ all the more beautiful to us, all the more radiant to us as we walk through your word this morning. Holy Spirit, ask that you would convict us where we need conviction, maybe where we have a hard time trusting and believing in the promises of God. Ask that you would uh, illuminate those promises even brighter for us this morning. Ask that you would encourage us where we feel discouraged. Ask that you would remind us that you are for us, with us, and that you hear us. We love you, and we trust you. Amen. Amen. Well, if you are with me in Luke chapter 1, let's look starting in verse 5. Scripture says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there's a priest named Zechariah, who's of the division of Abijah. And his wife was from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So here, church, we get to meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. Luke gives us some really important details about them up front. In fact, probably the most important details, I can assure you that this detail is where their identity rested. They were people of God's promises. Uh, In my home, in our family, we have this pact that we don't make promises unless we mean it. Not that we... Not, not just that we intend to keep our promises, like I promise and I intend to keep that promise, but we don't want to make promises unless we are 100% sure that this promise is going to happen. So we don't make promises often in our family. And I try from time to time to joke in my family. You guys have put up with me up here. You know that I'm not too great at joking. But from time to time, I'll try to joke in our home, and uh, my daughter will often call me on it. She'll say, Dad, do you promise that that's true? 
and it'll ruin the joke, or the, the semi-joke that I was trying to make in the first place. And I'll just say, no, Nora, I, I promise that that's not true. Um, some of us, we make promises flippantly. We have trouble holding to our words. Some of us don't like to make promises exactly because we don't like being held to our word. We don't like to commit to anything. This is not the case with the God of the Bible. In fact, God makes promises, which the Bible calls covenants, and God never has and never will, never ever break those covenant promises. And for old Zechariah and Elizabeth, they would have grown up in an environment in which these covenants were a familiar part of their daily life. Instead of uh, their parents reading the Jesus Storybook Bible to them, mom and dad would have told baby Zechariah about the covenant God made with Abraham in Genesis 12, a promise of blessing, a promise of inheritance, a promise of a land to come, a people to come. And as soon as Elizabeth's parents would have tucked her into bed at night, pulled the sheets up around her, they would have reminded her that one day a wonderful king was coming, a wonderful king to rule forever, a promise made in Samuel, a king who would bring peace, a king who was good. And these are just a couple of the major covenant promises that God made with his people. He made several And as little Zechariah and Elizabeth would have grown up and maybe as they would have uh, eaten their milk and honey around the fire while their family talked about these promises, they would have watched their family members actually have a vocation in which their job was to remind God's people about these promises. Luke gives us the detail that Zechariah was a priest And so he's in a priestly line. His family, Elizabeth, would have been a daughter of Aaron. That is a line of priests. Both of these people have an astonishing pedigree. They are from a priestly line. Imagine how that would have shaped their identity. Having uh, dads and granddads and uncles who served in the temple and having grandmothers and mothers who looked to God for their strength. Think about the legacy of their family that would have gone before them who trusted in the promises of God and of all these promises that were woven into the lives of their family, one promise would have ruled them all. The promise that one day God will give his people a new heart. He'll remove their heart of stone and he will give them a heart of flesh. He will actually put his spirit inside of them so they'll be moved to follow his decrees and his laws A promise that he will circumcise their hearts so that they'll love him with all of their heart and all of their soul and that they may live. These promises were pointed to by Moses and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And it's exactly Zechariah and Elizabeth's faith that God was going to hold true to these promises. It's their faith that he's going to, to make good on his word that makes them righteous before him their trust that he will keep his promises. And these promises of scripture, they're important for us too. These covenants, these promise bonds that God made and that Zechariah and Elizabeth live by, they're the scaffolding with which God builds his church. They're the very promises that we get to remember too because we are people of God's promises as well. Paul talks about this in Romans 11. He says that we're grafted into the existing branches of the true tree of Israel. These very same promises that they live by are the promises that you and I live by and not only that we live by, but that we find our identity 
in, just like they did, that we place our hope in, promises of a savior, promises of an inheritance, promises of a king that will rule forever, promises that we cling to, promises we tell our family about so that we may have a legacy in the Lord as well, promises that we hide in when the days are dark, when things are difficult, and when you find yourself feeling lost. This Christmas, when you put up your tree and you think, well, this is a hard year. There's not going to be anything but dust under that tree this year. I've got no means. I've got uh, really not a lot to call my own. You can remember that you're a child of God's promises, and you have a rich inheritance coming to you because of Christ. When the next news headline pops up of a fallen leader, unfaithful, wicked, selfish, and prideful, or you look at the voting ballot and you say, I don't even know what to do here. I don't even know what to do with this. Remember that one day, you have a promise that one day we will have a king here who is just and who is good and who is eternal and who is righteous. And when you look in the mirror and you're confronted by the reality of your own sin, You don't like the person looking back at you. You're confronted by your own sin and you're confronted by your own failure. You remember that there's a promise of a savior. And through your faith and repentance, that promise is yours to be forgiven, to be set free. Being a people of God's promises gives us ordinary men and women an extraordinary identity that anchors us when everything else seems lost. Let's keep moving and looking at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look back at your Bible. Look with me at verse 7. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, while he, we're talking about Zechariah, was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And a multitude of people were praying outside at this hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call his name John. You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He'll be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in his mother's womb. And he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We get an intimate detail here of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were advanced in years. They couldn't have children. They were people of promises. They were from a line of priests. They were righteous before God, but they lacked the very thing that would ensure the continuation of their family line, a child, a son. And as they waited to see if God might give them one, we see how they waited. They waited faithfully. They carried on with their lives. We see it here. Zechariah goes to work. 
and his priestly duties. You can read about the priesthood in 1 Chronicles. The priests numbered in the thousands. There were many of them. And priests were only allowed to serve in the temple once in their lifetime. In fact, many priests wouldn't get the chance. There were too many priests and not enough opportunities to serve. And so they would choose the priest by casting lots. Basically, like throwing dice. Choosing a priest to go into the temple to serve. So after all these years, Zechariah finally has his moment. The lot is cast, and it's Zechariah's turn. He makes his priestly preparations. He goes through some ritual cleanliness. He goes into the temple, and he begins going through his priestly duties while the people are outside. And one of those things that he would need to do is to pray, is to intercede, to pray for the people, to pray for God's people, to pray for the return or for the coming of the Messiah. To pray in this way for God's people, for the Messiah, to intercede between God and his people. And maybe, just maybe, as Zechariah is standing there in the temple in the closest place that he knows to God, he offers up a personal prayer as well. Something that he had prayed hundreds of times before with Elizabeth. God, could we have a child? God, as I pray this for your people, as I long for your Messiah, as I stand here, could you also hear my prayer? The angel says to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Did Zechariah pray for a child there in the most intimate place that he knows? I think he did. I think the angel's response tells us that, and I think Zechariah was ordinary. I think he was like you, and I think he was like me, and I think given the opportunity To be as close to God as he thought he was at that moment, he would offer up that prayer. Something that he and Elizabeth had been waiting for faithfully for so long. The plans of God, both for his church corporately and for your life and for my life, always, always include waiting. There are very few stories of people in this book that haven't had at some point in time to wait on God. Scholar Chad Bird puts it this way. He says, God will not do something when you want him to do it. He may do it earlier. He may do it later. But if you ask the Lord to do something at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night on March 14th, don't be shocked when he shows up a week before or six months later with neither his hat in his hand nor even a flimsy excuse. And he goes on to say, and if God has a predilection, it is to be perpetually late. (laughs) And that reality is hard for us sometimes. We virtually eliminated all wait time. Drones can deliver our toilet paper, right? Drivers can take me wherever I need to go if I jump on my phone and I order them up. I can even have a brand new bag of dog food show up on my doorstep the exact same day that my dog runs out of her food. We don't like waiting for dinner. We don't like waiting to gain an education. We don't like waiting to gain wealth. You name it, we want everything quick. We want it fast. We want it right now. And we can begin to think that God should operate on our timeline. And we can get impatient and we can get frustrated and we can get angry. But the psalmist says this. He says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. And sometimes, sometimes what pleases God is that you and I wait. Because waiting can actually strengthen our faith. 
It's in our waiting that God invites us in to trust him even more, to trust that he knows better than we do. Whatever we're praying for, whatever we're waiting for, whatever we're begging God about, it's just not coming. Maybe he knows better than we do. Maybe that's just a possibility. To trust that he has a better plan for us than we have for ourselves. Waiting invites us to trust God that maybe the time isn't right yet. Maybe we're waiting because he wants to change our heart before he changes the circumstances around us. There's a phenomenon you can observe next time you go anywhere. If you go to a restaurant, um, if you're waiting at the DMV, if you're waiting to, to get your um, oil changed, whatever, waiting over time has actually uh, changed the curvature of the human spine. So as you're waiting, next time you're waiting anywhere, look for this. You can see it. The human spine has begun to arch a little over time. You can look around, and you can see everybody who waits like this, right, on their phones, just staring at their phone as they wait. So here's my question for you this morning. As you wait for God to answer your prayers, what's your posture of waiting? What does it look like for you to wait? Are you waiting faithfully? Are you pressing into him in prayer? Are you asking him to help you trust him more? Are you going on faithfully with your life? Are you going on faithfully with your jobs? Are you walking faithfully still in your relationships? Are you faithfully coming to worship? Are you remaining faithful to the station God has put you in? The ordinary day in and day out. The people of God are a people of waiting faithfully. And faithful waiting is full of trust and full of prayer. We wait for God to make a way. We wait for him to change hearts. We wait for him to return and make all things new. Let's keep going. Let's see what else Luke tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Look with me at verse 18. Zechariah says back to the angel, how shall I know this? I'm an old man. My wife's advanced in years. The angel answers him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people that were outside, that were waiting for Zechariah, they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. We'll stop there. If you're holding a copy of the ESV Bible, the little subheading on there is probably the birth of John the Baptist foretold. It should have been how not to talk to an angel. <laughs> when we started our walk through the, through the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth this morning, we said they were ordinary. I, th I think they are. We saw that they were people of God's promises. We saw that they were faithfully waiting in prayer, but they were not perfect. Zechariah was not perfect, not perfect at all, and we see that here. Sometimes when we need God to answer us, we imagine that he might do so through a miracle. We say, God, if you would just send me an email, I, I would know what to do in this situation. I would know which direction to turn, which job to choose, which school to go to, whatever. We say, God, if you would just come to me in a dream, you would speak to me, then, then answer my question here. I would know which way to go. And occasionally, God does work that way in our lives. 
Maybe he will uh, set a fence on fire. Maybe he will send a UPS driver to, to pray over you. Maybe, just maybe, he'll send the angel Gabriel himself to give a message. And we think, man, if God would do that, I would listen to him. But would we? What, what does the Bible say here? It says, Zechariah says to the angel, how will I know that this is going to happen? A priest of God whose life and lineage looks far more impressive than yours and mine still questions an angel. We'd love to see God speak to us so we'd have some sort of clarity or answer. Maybe we want God speak to us just so we'll believe that he's actually real. But we're probably far more like Zechariah than we realize, and our doubts may run deeper than a visit from an angel can fix. We need someone to change our hearts. We don't need a sign. Doubt can creep into our lives slowly as life beats us up, or it can show up at the door and kick it right in unexpectedly in our lives. The people of God are not beyond doubting. In the Gospel of Mark, a man comes to Jesus and pleads with him, and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. This is the paradoxical nature of our faith. I do believe in you, Jesus. I do believe that you say that, that you can do what you say you can do, that you are who you say you are. I do believe that you can save my soul. I do believe that you can restore my marriage. I do believe that you can uh, call back my wayward child, but help my unbelief. I need more faith. I need more faith, Jesus. Give me more faith. Do you know it's okay to pray that, church? It's okay to pray that. Sometimes what we're facing seems too big, too difficult, too complicated, too beyond us, so we doubt. Even though maybe we, we cognitively know God hasn't left us on our own to figure it out, we feel like he has. You're going to have a son, Zechariah, says the angel Gabriel. Gabriel laughs, says, I'm too old. Or uh, Zechariah laughs and says, I'm too old. God isn't pleased with our doubts. Don't be confused on that. We even see that here as Zechariah is made mute. But because of the one who never doubted, because of the son who never asked, how will that be? Because of Jesus Christ the son who trusted in every word of the father, we get to have grace when we do doubt. We get to have forgiveness when we don't believe. In fact, God actually invites us in closer when we have doubts. Too many times we run and hide and we think, I can't do this, but I believe, help my unbelief. God invites us in closer to him, to press into him with those doubts, to call out to him and say, hey, I believe, help my unbelief, so that he might place extraordinary faith in the life of an ordinary person like you and like me. We've got two more observations about Zechariah and Elizabeth this morning, so let's keep moving. Look with me at verse 24. After these days... Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord's done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among people. Then look with me at verse 39. In those days Mary, this is uh, Joseph and Mary, arose and went with haste into the hill 
country, a town of Judah. She entered in the house of Zechariah, and she greeted Elizabeth. They were cousins. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. We'll stop there. We don't get a whole lot of information about Elizabeth. Luke gives us just this little bit. But I think in these two, in these two moments that Luke shows us, I think we see Elizabeth is a kind of person who blesses other people. You see what she's doing in verse 25 and then with Mary and those other verses, 39 through 45, she's actually speaking blessings. In verse 25, she's speaking a blessing over God himself as she remembers how he's blessed her. And in the other, she's speaking multiple blessings over Mary. A person who is well aware of God's blessing in their life is a person who overflows with blessings onto other people. God invites us in to live like this But really, too often our eyes and our hearts are focused on what we don't have instead of what we have been blessed with. And so we speak a lot of things over people, but they aren't blessings. Think about the way you commonly speak in your own personal life. To your children, is your speech seasoned with blessings or with uh, criticism and frustration? What about to your spouse? Is it seasoned with blessings or uh, maybe criticism and disappointment? Social media, blessings or divisiveness? With your friends, blessing or gossip? The writer of Proverbs says that the tongue has the power of life or death. And we often think about that power as, as like one big heavy blow. And we think, you know what? I'm not exploding on anyone. I'm not verbally abusing anyone. I'm not cursing. I'm doing okay. But what we're missing is that with our tongue, we can crush a person in a thousand small ways every day with our criticism and our passive aggressiveness and the way we talk to somebody, or we can give them life in a thousand small ways every day. But to do that, we have to remember how blessed we are, how blessed that God in Christ has given us blessing. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. John's talking about Jesus. God speaks to us through Christ. God has spoken Christ to us, the Word of God, the best blessing we could ever have so that we could also speak Christ to others, so that we can bless and not curse, so that we can speak in such a way that life is brought into people, not sucked out of them. It's the blessing of Christ that should fill us so that we overflow with blessings onto other people, so that we speak Christ into their life. It's from the overflow of the heart that we speak. I think this is what Elizabeth was doing here. Let's look at our last observation about these two characters of Christmas this morning. We'll jump ahead a little bit in the story. So Elizabeth gives birth to John, and as soon as John is born... Zechariah can talk again, just like the angel said. And so now it's going to be in the words of Zechariah that we see our final observation this morning, that these are a people who have been eagerly anticipating the arrival of their king. Remember that there in the temple, the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that 
Zechariah's son John would go before the king that's coming to prepare the way for him. What you need to remember is that before this moment, for over 400 years, God had been silent. No prophecies, no words, no anything. God was silent to his people. And then Gabriel shows up in the temple and he says, Hey, Zechariah, that king you've been waiting for, he's coming. And your son's going to prepare the way. And then Zechariah, who's been waiting his whole life for this to happen, he can't tell anybody this. All the promises, all the waiting, all the hope, God's king is finally arriving. So the angel shows up in the temple after 400 years of silence. Gabriel shows up and he tells Zechariah that the king that you're waiting on, the king that you've been waiting for, that he's coming. He's finally arriving. And Zechariah, because of his doubting in that moment, he can't speak. Everything he's been waiting for, everything he's been hoping for, everything that he has desired, everything that he has anticipated, uh, he, can't, he now can't talk about it. But when Zechariah can speak, what comes out of his mouth is a song of thankfulness, a song of praise, and a song of anticipation of promises finally fulfilled. If you look with me in your Bible at verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, here's what Zechariah said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So stop there for a moment. Remember the promise that we talked about earlier, the covenant that God made to David that a king would come. That's what Zechariah is singing about right here. That a king is coming from the line of David, a king to rule and reign forever, a promise kept. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Let's keep going. Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Let's pause there. Remember the other promise that we talked about, the one God made with Abraham, a promise of blessing, a promise of inheritance. That's what, that's what Zechariah is singing about here. More promises kept, more promises fulfilled. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Let's keep going. In verse 76, he says, and you child, he's talking about John now, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. He's talking about his son, John, here. He will go before the Lord to, look at verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of God, where the sunrise shall visit us on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is a song of anticipation fulfilled and promises met, all of them. 
finally fulfilled in a savior king who's arriving, a blessed inheritance, a good king, forgiveness of sins, and many others all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. In Jesus is the completion of all the Old Testament promises. In Jesus is the completion of all the Old Testament covenants. In Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament hope. And as you, Christian, hear this song, know that it's yours too. A song of promises kept, every single one of them. A song of anticipation fulfilled that stirs up even more anticipation for that king to return, for Jesus to come again. As we close this morning, and as we walk through the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, people of God's promises, waiting faithfully, sometimes doubting, blessing others, and anticipating the arrival of their king, as we read their story, I hope we've been able maybe to see a little bit of our story. Not that we always read ourselves into scripture, but I hope that we've been both convicted and encouraged hope that we see how an extraordinary God can take ordinary people and tell his story of salvation through their lives because he's doing that with you and he's doing that with me. We like to praise extraordinary people, entrepreneurs, Marvel superheroes, mythical beings, smart and witty podcasters, social media influencers, politicians, super moms, even ministry praises pastors and leaders who are extraordinary. And some of us chase that, being extraordinary and popular, and we want to be known, and we want to have a a name. We feel like we need it, but God loves to work in ordinary places and to show off his wisdom and power through ordinary people. He loves to show off his power through a priest and his wife who are faithfully living their ordinary lives. He loves to show off his power in a mom who changes diapers and cleans the kitchen and does laundry like a hundred times a day. He loves to show off his power and his story of salvation through a man who faithfully loves his wife and faithfully serves at his job and faithfully leads his family and faithfully comes in here every Sunday to worship. He loves to show his wisdom through sending the savior of the world as a helpless baby. Don't ever be afraid of being ordinary because you are loved and used by a God who isn't. And as we live in these ordinary lives, God invites us into attention, attention of waiting, the tension of waiting and eager anticipation for the return of Christ. For the day when our ordinary lives are transformed by the extraordinary King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we love you and we need you. Father, I just ask that you would fulfill every need, um, that you would provide for those who are without, that you would make a way for those who have none, that you would help us be uh, your hands and feet, that you would guide us into that, give us strength, courage, and boldness to, to do that, to be that for you.
Father, I also ask that you would just stir up our hearts in anticipation for the return of Christ. Even as we've walked through the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and as we've looked at these faithful and ordinary people that you've put before us, I ask that you would remind us that um, just as you've used them, God, you want to use us. That you've saved us that you've made us new, that you've transformed our hearts and our lives so that we might be new creations. And that for those of us in here who have not experienced that, you're inviting us into it. God, we love you. We trust you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.